starting with verse 13. The Bible says in verse 13, Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. I grew up on a dairy farm in Wisconsin. My dad, <clears throat> among a lot of things that he got involved in, it seems like, he was the caretaker of a cemetery about three miles from our farm. And so as a kid, <clears throat> whenever he would go over there to mow the grass or work there in that cemetery, I would go with him. And many Saturdays as a family, we would go over and care for that cemetery. And my mom would water the flowers and cut some of the shrubs and things like that while my dad mowed the grass and and my sister and I, we would, we would play in the cemetery. And uh, when I got to be about 13, I went to my dad one day and I said, Dad, uh, do you think they would hire me instead of you to take care of that cemetery? I was uh, starting to realize the need for cash in my life. And uh, I was raising rabbits. I had 96 rabbits. And um, I could get them up to three pounds and then I could sell them. For 16 cents a pound. And I wasn't getting to my first million very fast. And so I said, Dad, I, I need some more money. You know, I'm a teenager and I, I, you know, my allowance of 50 cents a week is just not cutting it. <laughs> and uh, so I said, uh, you think they would hire me at the cemetery? Well, he said, I'll, I'll ask. So he went to the next board meeting and presented it and, and they, they hired me. So as a teenager, all the way through junior high and high school, I would go to that cemetery once a week, and in the summer or spring, fall, I'd cut the grass, and it's about three acres of cemetery grass, and I got $10 for cutting the grass. Now, we didn't have a riding lawnmower. We did not have a self-propelled lawnmower. We did not have a lawnmower with a motor on it. The way you mowed the grass in those days was you pushed the lawnmower, and the faster you pushed it, the faster the blades went around. That's how you cut the grass. So it wasn't an easy $10, but it was $10. That was a lot more than $0.16 cents a pound. If someone died, I had to dig the grave. And that was, uh, that was interesting, um, especially in the wintertime when it was ground was frozen, you know, about three feet deep, and you got to dig it fast. They want to bury the guy, you know, so uh, you got to dig it fast. I dug my grandfather's grave, and uh, a number of my family is buried there, and, and maybe I'll be buried there someday. Who knows? But I got $10 from digging a grave. So whenever I needed money, I just prayed someone would die. No, just kidding. But, uh, but I spent a lot of time in that cemetery. And you've been in cemeteries, maybe uh, for a funeral, maybe just casually walk through one one time, uh, but you've all seen a cemetery and you know what they're like. People are buried there and uh, there are some markers, there are some tombstones, there are some grave markers that tell you who is buried there. And when you look at those tombstones or markers, today we put them in the ground kind of flat with the surface to make it easier to care for the facility, but in the older cemeteries, you've got the, the upright tombstones and so on, and they have, they have words on them. They have 
engravings into the rock that tell you a little bit about this person that's buried there. Now, there's one mark on that tombstone that's more important than all the others. There are lots of things engraved into that tombstone. But there's one mark on it that's more important than all the others. It's not the name of the person. Now, your name is very important. You're given your name when you're born by your parents, and that's the identity that you have for your life. That's how you identify yourself to others and how they relate to you. But if, if your name was different than it is, it, it wouldn't change anything about you. If I had been named David instead of John, I don't think my life would be one, di one different. I don't think there would be any difference in my life if I had a different name. Our name's important. The Bible says a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. Loving favor rather than silver and gold. Solomon said a good name is better than a precious ointment. In fact, uh, 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 Proverbs 10 says that the memory of the just is blessed, but the name of the wicked shall rot. So our name is important, but it's not the most important thing about us. On that tombstone is also the date of your birth, your birthday. Well, that's an important day. I mean, when you're, when you're alive, that's a really big day, especially certain birthdays. You know, when you're 10 or when you're 13, you get to be a teenager, you get to be 16. That's, those are important birthdays. But your birthday is not the most important thing about you. Also on that tombstone is the date of your death. Now that's going to be an important day because you're going to be in eternity, heaven or hell. So your death day is, is really important. And it's important to those that are left here when you die. Your friends will miss you and so on. So your death day is a significant day, but it's not the most important thing about you. There might be a verse of scripture on the tombstone. And that's always important, but it's not the most important thing about you. There might be a little epitaph on the tombstone, something that would describe your life, but it's not the most important marking on that tombstone. The most important engraving in that tombstone is very small. Probably takes just a moment to carve it into that stone, but it's the most important thing about you. It's the little dash that separates your date of birth from the date of death. Because that little dash represents your whole life. Now, right now, you're living in your dash. I don't know where. You might be the very beginning of it. You say, Brother Getsch, you're at the very end of it. You might be closer to the end than I am. Because we don't know, right? So we're all living in this dash that we have that we call time or life on earth. So what are you doing with your dash? You only get one. Life's not a video game. You don't start over when you mess up or lose. You only get one. Where are you? How is your dash going? What are you doing with it? 
I want you to see three very important principles about this little dash of time, this vapor that the Bible calls life. I want you to see, first of all, it's a divine dash. Life is a gift from God. What we do with it is our gift to him. We didn't create our own life. God gives life. God, God allows us to have life. There's none holy as the Lord, for there's none beside thee. Neither is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy go out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him are actions weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken. They that stumbled are girded with strength. They that were full have hired up themselves for bread, and they that were hungry ceased. For the barren hath borne seven, and she that hath many children is waxed feeble. For the Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. He bringeth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar out of the dunghill to set them among princes that they may inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. He has set the worlds upon them. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall he thunder upon them until they be destroyed. For by strength shall no man prevail. It's God that gives life. Children are an heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Boaz took Ruth, she became his wife, he went in under her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. Life is a gift from God. And so our life is sacred. Our life is a divine gift from God. It is something that he has entrusted with us. That life can be very fragile. The voice said, cry. He said, what shall I cry? All flesh is as grass. The glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. We have a divine dash. But I want you to see also it is a distinguished dash. You see, when God made you, when God created you, he created you with a purpose. He has a plan for your life. That plan is first and foremost to glorify him. The reason we're breathing right now, the reason we're walking on planet earth is to bring glory to God. In Revelation 4 and verse 11, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power and blessing for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. You're not created to, to, to bring you joy. You're created to bring him joy. Whether therefore you live, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Our first and foremost purpose is to glorify God. He created us that we should be to the praise of his glory. And God has uniquely designed us. He's uniquely created us so that we individually can use what God has given us to bring glory to him. He has a plan for your life. In Jeremiah chapter 1, God tells Jeremiah in verse 5, when you were in your mother's belly, I knew you. I formed you. I ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. Even before Jeremiah was born, God already had a plan for Jeremiah's life. The Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 1, when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace 
before Paul even existed, before Paul got saved, God already knew how he was going to use Paul. And guess what? He has a plan for your life. Read Psalm 139. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret, when I was curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. In other words, when you were conceived of your parents, when you were just that little two-celled being, God already knew you. By the way, scientists know now that all of our DNA is in those first two cells. There's not, a, there's not a medical doctor on the face of this planet that does not believe that life begins at conception because we can see it now. We have the mechanisms to be able to look at it, to test it. All of your chromosomes are in those first two cells, half from your mom, half from your dad. That's your whole personality. That's what color your hair is going to be. That's, that's everything about you. It's all right there, and we can see it now. Now, not all, not all doctors agree about when life has viability, Right? There's people now that don't think life really begins till after you're born. And some now don't even want to, I have a book in my office where a guy doesn't believe that life really begins until you're five years old. So we disagree about when life has viability, but we all know there's life there. And in that being that God is forming there in the womb, before we ever are born nine months later, God is already shaping everything together. In fact, in Psalm 139, it says, all your members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. So God had everything written down about you before it even was. Before you had eyes, God already had the color of your eyes written in a book. Before you got to be five foot six, God knew five foot six. He had it written in a book. He knew everything about you. And God has a plan for your life then. He has a plan to take all of those things that he's placed into your life as far as personality and talents and abilities and gifts. He's put all that in there in order for him to use you. And by the way, his plan is a good plan. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, God said in Jeremiah 29, 11, thoughts of peace and not of evil to bring you to an expected end. God always wants you to be a success. God always wants you to be profitable. God always wants you to, to do your best. Why? Because you're bringing glory to God with your life. So God has good thoughts toward you. God has a good plan in your life. Be not conformed to this world, but be a transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God's will is good. It's acceptable. You're going to love it. And it's perfect. It's complete. It's going to be fulfilling. It's going to bring joy. It's going to bring satisfaction to your life. And so it's a distinguished dash. But notice thirdly, not only a divine dash, a distinguished dash, it's a determined dash. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 3.2, a time to be born and a time to die. Now, all of us have a birthday, right? Y'all have a birthday? When's your birthday? July 17th, summer. When's your birthday? February 15th. February 15th. When's your birthday, sir? August 3rd. August 3rd. Only summer babies. When, when's your birthday? January 19th. There we go. January 19th. You just had a birthday. Next week. What's today? 13th. 
Another week. A birthday. Everybody has a birthday. Did you know we all have a death day? Now we don't know when it is, but we have one. See, teenagers, we don't die because we get old. We don't die because we get sick. We don't die because we meet an unfortunate accident. We die because it is appointed unto men once to die. Job said, is there not an appointed time to man upon the earth? Are not his days as the days of an hireling? The eye that has seen me shall see me no more. Thine eyes are upon me, and I am not. Thou shalt seek me in the morning, but I shall not be. Just as you would hire somebody to do a job, and when the job is finished, they go their way. You pay them, they go. That's where life is. We've been given an opportunity here on this earth. It comes and it goes at God's appointment. A time to be born. A time to die. A determined dash. We spend our years, the psalmist said in chapter 90, as a tale that is told. Most of you have probably read a biography or two in your life. You read a biography, the story of somebody's life, and, and it's fascinating. You learn about their early childhood and maybe the background of their parents, and, and then you, you read about their schooling, and you read about their career and whatever they accomplished that was worthy of doing a biography about their life. And, but I've discovered that in all those biographies I've read, they all have a last chapter. The person dies. You see, we spend our years as a tale that is told. One day your life will have a final chapter. It will end. When we started West Coast Baptist College back in 1995, we had 43 students the first year, 43. And uh, at the end of that year, we decided that it would be good to have like a team of students that would travel during the summer and tell other students about West Coast Baptist College. In other words, to travel as like a, a ministry team, a, a, maybe a music ensemble or something like that that could go out into churches and camps and different places and, and tell teenagers about the opportunities at West Coast. And so, you know, all colleges do that. And so we thought, well, we need one of those. So I'm thinking, well, we only have 43 students. And they were talking about putting maybe a music group together. And I thought, do we have enough talent to do that? I mean... The talent pool was kind of shallow, you know. And so, uh, but they had some auditions, and, and sure enough, they selected six girls. And uh, they were going to make up this, this team that was going to travel. And, and they really were multi-talented. Three of them could play the piano, and, and they all could sing, and three could play the piano, two could play the flute. And, and uh, they, they began to work on some music and some repertoire, you know, of music. And, and uh, they put it all together and had some practices. And there was one of the secretaries, she got on the phone and began to call some churches around the West. And, hey, can we come to your church and, and sing and present to college? And they got a, 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 a bunch of schedule, uh, books you know, in these churches. And, and uh, so for, for, for seven weeks, these girls were going to travel and to be in a different church every day of the week and just have a service and tell folks about the Lord and tell folks about the college. And it was all set. And then Pastor Chapel came to me and he said, now, Getch, you're going to travel with them. I said, do what? He said, you're going to travel with them. You're going to preach. I said, you're kidding. Me? In a van with six girls for seven weeks? 
whoa. Now, now these girls, all six of them, were all extroverts. You know what an extrovert is? Somebody that talks constantly. They just, you know, words are no problem to them. They, they, they exceed their 25,000, right? And, and so they, they, were just, they were just nonstop talk. Now, I'm an introvert. I, I am a class A introvert. I do, I do premarital counseling for couples all the time, and I've always got several I'm doing, and, and one, of the, one of the whole sessions is on extrovert, introvert, and I, I am a great example of an introverted person. I, 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 I hate people. <laughs> uh, no, not really. But uh, I don't need to talk to be happy. If you see me by myself, don't feel sorry for me. I'm having the time of my life. I, I, I do not need to be around people or talk to people to be happy. I just, I just don't need that in my life. So I'm an introvert. I have a t-shirt at home that says my friends don't like me. My imaginary friends don't like you either. So I, uh, I do have imaginary friends. So I'm an introvert. So we get in this van first day and we start traveling. Now, if you travel in a van uh, for seven weeks, you have to have some rules. I mean, you got to be on time. We got to leave. We got to go. We got to get to the next church. And it's going to be different every day. So whatever I tell you, you've got to be at the church. You've got to be ready to go. You've got to be packed, ready to go. You've got to have a rule. Uh, we had rules like keep the van clean. Don't be trash in the van. We've we got to keep it clean, keep it looking sharp. We had all these rules. And if you broke a rule, you had to pay a fine, like 25 cents or 50 cents or whatever. So we were doing fine. We traveled about three and a half weeks. All was good. One morning, we had an early morning departure, 5 a.m., and the girls did great. They got there, got packed. Everybody's ready to go. We get in the van. We had a word of prayer. We pull out of the parking lot. And one of the girls says, um, I have a new rule we need to vote on. All right. What is it? She said, well, I've noticed that there are certain times, like, like when we have to get up early, that we tend to be really negative. We, we tend to complain we get critical. Uh, we say, you know, I had to sleep on a hard bed last night, or I didn't get any breakfast, or I'm really tired. You know, we, 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 we're negative in our, in, our, in our conversations. And she said, we, we, we ought not to be that way. We, we ought to be thankful. We ought to be grateful that we get to travel and do all these great things and see all these places and go to all these churches and serve the Lord. And she said, I just think that we need to make a rule that if someone in the van is talking and someone else in the van doesn't like what's being said, they can say, the end. And the person has to stop talking or pay a dollar. I like this rule. I, I love this rule. I wish this was a rule for all of society. Well, we talked about it. We, we, we discussed it. And I, I'm thinking as the girls are talking about this, I thought, this, this is a good rule. I mean, I can be grouchy. I, I can be, you know, kind of negative in the morning too and, and at night. And, and I said, I, I thought, you know, I, I shouldn't be saying something that the girls don't appreciate, you know. And so they should be able to stop me or have a mechanism to correct me just like I would for them. And so this is, the good, this is a good rule. We talked about it like that. And, and finally we voted. And we voted 7-0 unanimously to pass this rule. So now 
We have a rule in the van that if somebody's talking, someone else doesn't like what's being said, they can say the end, and you have to stop or pay a dollar. So we go on down the road. And we were driving along there, and we had a girl in the group. Her name was Cassie. Now, Cassie was a really sweet girl. Uh, she's on the mission field today with her husband, and uh, their daughter has graduated from our college now. Their son is a junior. Great family. And Cassie was a great girl in college, very sweet, very godly. But Cassie was, um, well, have you ever had somebody tell you a joke, and it would have been funny if they hadn't told it? That was Cassie. She was dull. She was boring. She had no color, no vividness to her language. And when she would speak, it would put you to sleep. And, and so we're driving along, and Cassie goes into one of her stories, one of these long, drawn-out stories, and, and everybody's kind of rolling their eyes like, ah, you know, whatever. And I'm looking in the rearview mirror, and all these girls are kind of rolling their eyes. And then I, then I caught the eye of the girl who made the rule. And she had kind of a twinkle in her eye, and I thought, oh, no. <laughs> and sure enough, she let Cassie go for about five minutes, and then all of a sudden she said, the end. Ouch. And Cassie had to stop talking. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> the rest of that summer, whenever Cassie would say, I remember the time, the end. <laughs> and Cassie would slink down her seat and cry. It was awesome. It was great. You know, I see all six of those girls quite a bit. In fact, the girl that made the rules, my daughter-in-law. But anyway, <laughs> those girls are all out serving the Lord today. And we get together here and there, and, and sometimes as a group, sometimes, you know, one-on-one -on -one or whatever. And every time, every time we see each other, we always bring up that story. and We laugh. But you know, teenagers, one of these days, you're going to be going along, and God's going to say, the end. But God, I'm not saved yet. The end. But, but, but God, I, I, I'm a little behind on my Bible reading. The end. Your story has an ending. Because your dash is already determined. A student at our college, I was telling Pastor this morning, just this past week, he's there over the break, the winter break, working, gets a call. Daniel, get home as soon as you can. It's your mom. Daniel's 19, I think. His mom's under 50. They're meeting as a family right now around the bedside, saying their last words. Doctor is saying she's gone. It's just a matter of taking her off the machines. She's already gone. Your story has an ending. It's a determined dash. Our dash is divine. Our dash is distinguished. Our dash is determined. But I want you to see, finally, it's a diminishing dash. No matter where you are in the dash, you have less time in the dash today than you did yesterday left. You're teenagers. 
all things being even, you have a lot of your dash left to live, but you have no guarantee of that. Young people die. Damar. All you have to say is that word, and everybody knows the story, right? Buffalo Bills, Monday Night Football. Healthiest of the healthiest, right? These are people that we think are invincible. And yet, and collapses and literally dies. Has to be resuscitated. Thank God for the fact that he miraculously came through that. But we understand, we see things like that. By the way, isn't it interesting how all the world in that moment stops and prays? We could care less about God, but in those moments, we have a default system. You know what it is? It's called your soul. When God made man, he breathed into his nostrils a breath of life, and man became a living soul. You're more than a body. You're more than a mind. You have a spirit, and you know it. And in those moments, you go to God. It's amazing. You can be cursing God, you can be denying God, but in those moments, you know that was the true light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. God's revealed himself to every man. There are, there are no atheists. Amen. Everybody believes in God. And an incident like that proves it. Because they all start praying. Amazing. But we understand that life can end. It's diminishing. We think we have lots of time. There was a man in the book of Acts by the name of Felix. He heard Paul preach. And the Bible says he trembled under the conviction as Paul preached of sin and of righteousness and, and judgment to come. And Felix trembled. He, con- he was convicted in his heart that he needed God. But when Paul finished, he said, go thy way. When I have a more convenient season, I'll call for thee. You know, you never read about Felix again. His name never is mentioned again. Apparently, that convenient season never came. Your dash is diminishing. That's why Ecclesiastes 12 one says, Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. While the evil days come not, or the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. You see, the time to think about God, the time to serve God is now, not some later time, because when you get there... You won't care about God. If you don't care about God in your teen years, you won't care about him when you're 40. If you're not sensitive to God as a 13-year-old, you're not going to be sensitive to God as a 33-year-old. You've got to think now about God. Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Only one life will soon be passed. And only what's done for Christ last if your life if your story ended today what account can you give of your dash do you know the Lord is your savior that's most important if you know the Lord what are you doing with the gift called life life is God's gift to us What we do with it is our gift to him. Let's bow for prayer.
with our heads bowed and eyes closed and no one looking about, how many of you could say, Brother Getch, I am thankful that if my story ended today, if my dash ended today, I'm thankful that I know that if I were to be absent from this body, I would be present with the Lord. I've trusted Christ as my Savior. I know that I'm on my way to heaven to live with God forever because I've asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior. If that's your testimony, would you just lift your hand for a minute all over this room? Good, wonderful. You can slip them down. Thanks for being honest. Maybe you'd say, preacher, I, I don't know about that. I'm not sure about that. I hope I go to heaven if there is one. If there's a hell, I certainly don't want to go there. But I don't know. I'm not sure. Never really thought about it, maybe. I wonder, would you allow me to pray for you? I can't save you. Only God can save you. But I can ask the Lord to help you to understand what it means to be saved. And we would be thrilled at an opportunity to pray for you, to help you to make that decision. I wonder who's here that would say, Mr. Getch, I didn't raise my hand a minute ago. I, I don't know that for sure. And I need to know that. I'd like to know that. Would you just slip up your hand? Hands are still bowed. I'll be glad to see it and have prayer for you. Is there anyone like that? Yeah, all right, God. Good, God bless you. Anybody else? Pray for me. I'm not sure this is settled. And I'm a day closer now to eternity than I was yesterday. Pray for me. I wonder how many Christians today would say, Brother Gedge, I raised my hand a minute ago. I know I'm on my way to heaven. But right now, my dash doesn't bring glory to God. My dash is being lived for me. It's being lived for what I want rather than what he wants. And that needs to change. And God has spoken to my heart today. Pray for me. Would you slip up your hand, Christian? Good. Good. Let's do this. I'm going to have a word of prayer. And uh, then Mrs. Furs will play a little bit on the piano. And, and if you raise your hand to that last question as a Christian, as I pray, why don't you determine right now, you're just going to slip to your knees there at your chair or Slip to this altar in a minute when the music starts and make a decision about that. Um, I know you're among your friends and peers, but it's time for us as a generation to decide what we're going to live our dash for. And it shouldn't matter really what everybody else is going to do, but what, are we, what am I going to do? I only can give account of my dash and you of yours. And I want you to think about making that decision today. And then if you raise your hand and you're not sure you're saved, it would be an opportunity during that time to, to get that settled as well. We have workers here, your sponsors, your, your youth leaders that can happily show you how to get that settled. So, Father, we commit these next few minutes to you. We ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would draw us to the decisions you want us to make. And I pray, Lord, for these many teenagers who have recognized the fact that their dash right now is not all that it should be for you. 
And I pray that they would make a decision today here at this youth rally, in the first part of 2023, that would change the course, that would alter some things in their life, that their dash, when it's complete, will bring glory to you. And then for this one, and maybe there was another that I did not see, but I pray that that eternity could be settled today as well. We'll give you all the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Let's just stand together quietly. And the